Hi everybody and welcome to this week's podcast of What Would The Smart Party Do? We're back again, we're chatting with just the two of us, I've got my good friend Gaz with me, hello Gaz. Hello Baz, how are things with you? Things are not bad, we've got no guests with us or anything so we're going to have to entertain each other. Uh, oh, what are we going to do this week Gaz? What on earth could we possibly talk about? I don't know, have you been anywhere recently? Have you had any gaming experiences that are fresh in your mind that you want to talk about? What have you got for me, mate? Well, I'm glad you asked, Baz. You might have been sat at home doing the dishes <laughs> or whatever else, but I've been away at the Seven Hills Gaming Convention, which is in Sheffield. It's in the Garrison Hotel, which is an old army barracks and jail. So it's a lovely sandstone building, uh, very uh, atmospheric. It's the sister convention to Furnace, which happens uh, about six months from now. So they've just basically added another one in. Uh, very good very very local about 60 or 70 people uh, lots of good diverse games you can pre-book in advance if you run games um, good set of GMs and players there as well get very enthused and into the games that are being played how they are playing um, so all good really that's um, that's where my experience starts and they was played everything from kind of the new edition of Feng Shui to uh, a village of Hamlet but run with 13th age and there was all kinds of other stuff there too. A lot of Savage Worlds this time. And nice. yeah, there was a bit of Star Wars. There was some Duty and Honor and that kind of thing. There was some classic D&D. There was some 5th edition D&D. Um, there was Mutant Chronicles. There was all kinds of things. It, it always seems to have that good mix of some good old-fashioned stuff. And then whatever the latest release is, somebody's giving it a go. And uh, really heartwarmingly, uh, Rick Baines, the best give a shout out to because he was running one of the scenarios that I wrote for Furnace with Dr. Mitch. Oh. And he ran that in slot Oh, yeah, fight. that was cool. So it'd be good to hear how that went. I didn't actually uh, manage to catch him at the end to find out. But uh, yeah, thank, thanks to him for giving a, a smart party product a bit of a, a blast at a convention. Oh, nice one, Rick. That's cool. I was keeping up with, uh, with forum reports. It's always interesting if I'm not at a con. I kind of watch the, the ticker tape. Uh, at the bottom of my iPhone, just telling me all weekend what people are up to, what they're playing, what was good, what was what was maybe not so good. But what's really interesting is the couple of days immediately after a con where where the UK community definitely feels like the need to unburden themselves of of their con reports, and uh, and I can't help but get a bit misty eyed and kind of wish I was there for some of it. But um, what I was thinking was there does seem to be, you know, I think maybe um, maybe I'm imagining it, but I think this year more than others, there's been a little bit of reflection on people's scenarios that they played I think there's a desire for people to to want to make them a bit more effective next time out and you know we're immediately signing up for future cons now aren't we and people are pitching games already but it, I think maybe it's a good time and you suggested this to look at like you know pulling together ideas for conventions and you've got like immediate practical experience of what you've had over the last weekend and speaking to the other guys that were there too so um, what we're going to look at, we we're going to look at um, pulling together some characters for cons, is that right? Yeah, I think that's a good starting point. And um, I'll start you off with one of the really simple, easy ones, something that I've missed from character sheets uh, for a long time now. I was doing a type S Harvey game, which is basically pirates using the Savage World system. Uh, it's kind of, if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, it's the one with the wood eye and the, the short, fat, bold one with stringy hair. It's those kind of pirates, that end of the scale, not the perhaps... Pretty Boy, Johnny Depp, effective ones. It's more the less able but more comical end of the scale. But uh, nevertheless, good fun, and uh, everybody got really into it, certainly in the afternoon session. I think one of the players' comments was that her cheeks were hurting so much by the end of it because she'd been laughing so much, which is great. But normally, that not just that game, but lots of others, I think there's been a definite shift in games over recent years to not put equipment lists down and things like that because you kind of just oh, go yeah. like, you know, we're not really bothered about encumbrance or anything of that nature. It's just if you've got sensible equipment, then you have it. If you're a, a fighter, you're going to have a whetstone and things like that. We don't need to write all this stuff down. Clerics are going to have uh, holy symbols. We've sort mm. of, I don't know, got a little bit kind of moved on from the time when we need to bean count every single piece of equipment and how much it weighs. But for one reason or another, uh, this time when I did the character sheets, I stuck some equipment down there. Some of it got ignored, some of it got used. Um, amusingly there's always that question of have we got any rope and I'd actually made sure I'd given mm. the character some rope so I didn't have to answer the question yes you've got some if you want it it was just there which is nice arguably guys you always give characters enough rope in your game yes quite <laughs> it saves me having to hang them myself but um, one of the really innocuous items that I've added this time and I tend to put two or three things on the back of there is um, old Pete's like this garrulous old sea dog he's 
a septuagenarian who should have died at you know half a lifetime ago but still clinging on somehow and he sort of cheats the other crew out of all their money with these uh, weighted dice but for for whatever reason i just felt like i needed to sort of pad out his equipment list a little bit more and gave him a double-headed coin now uh, mm-hmm. Stephen, uh from up in scotland lands he sort of really picked that up and ran with it and it suddenly became a thing so from just on thursday night me adding double-headed coin to a character sheet for a large portion of the adventure any time there's a decision to be made or all people wanted to guide the crew he went i'll tell you what let's make it fair we'll toss a coin for it and it really suddenly became a thing in the and it must have happened a dozen mm. times and everybody laughed and everybody knew what the outcome was going to be and it was just um just from an out of nowhere little tiny piece of thing but a player picked it up off that carriage sheet and made something out of it so i think one thing we can do definitely that we don't didn't used to is put little bits and pieces like that on you don't have to write five thousand word backgrounds you just need lots of little hooks or bits that someone somewhere may pick up and run with it and i think that can really make a game or add to a game certainly yeah i concur mate um on on the flip side of that example uh when i was uh prepping for a con last year uh, i made the it seemed like a good idea at the time but i thought i'd run three linked D D adventures and i would have the same characters throughout the three but i would just separate them by five or six levels a piece so i'd have a low level game a mid-level game a high level game um and i prepped for six players so i did six characters uh, and then leveled them up um now you know D and D's my game. I know my way around it pretty well. I didn't think it would be such a task, but actually doing eighteen characters was it nearly destroyed me, <laughs> um, and it nearly destroyed the players too. Because I mean, at the time, um, my skills aren't as advanced as, as certain GMs are. Certainly not yourself, mate. When it comes to making bespoke character sheets, so I just used the the traditional character sheets that come in the book because uh, I knew there'd be an element of demo to it, which is something I'm sure we'll come back to in this recording um but i just thought i'd just use the, the standard character sheets standard character sheets are awful for convention gaming yeah. they're not great for home gaming to be fair but they've got all of the workings out and because the boxes were on the sheets i felt like i had to include them but it was absolutely lost on my players and and the poor people who got the spell casters and got dropped into the middle of an 11th level character were really struggling even though i'd had to make little extra spell books for them and tried to make it easy but in fact i'd made it more complicated but like you interestingly i had put in the equipment box a couple of little trinkets they're a real thing in fifth edition D. there's a table you can roll on and everything and it might have like you know um, a, a candle made from solidified psychic devil wax or something <laughs> it doesn't do much but it's just kind of cool and and if i saw that in McCarthy, i'd want to use it so for, if i was taking summary points from today's conversation I'd go item one if you put it on a character sheet it will get used and arguably if you don't put it on a character sheet don't expect to hear about it during the game what do you think of that is that fair uh yes very much so uh i think if you put it on a character sheet it might not get used there's definitely that mm. that threat but if it isn't there it, it almost definitely won't i think there was um there's some, some frustration in one of those com reports that you mentioned from another player who played in the game and he kind of had uh, i think it was like you know two pistols and this sword and went some groovy armor he mentioned all kinds of stuff and then he didn't get to use it once in the game and he was mightily distraught about that and i've had a sp- uh, similar experience running unknown armies when i was running something out of the lawyers guns and money subset where you basically um sort of troubleshooters and cleaners for this shadowy organization you get a massive list of kit in the trunk of your car and i just thought it was a good thing to give the players so i chucked it out to say oh look at this look at this cool stuff that you get um, because there wasn't really a massive opportunity to use a lot of that kit everybody was a bit disgruntled at the end you kind of set up the expectation if you put stuff on a sheet that they're going to get a chance to use it and if you don't provide those opportunities mm-hmm. or at least allow enough leeway for players to come up with ways they might use it you just set yourself up for a little bit of disappointment i think mm-hmm. yeah do you remember that game of uh blue planet you and I both <laughs> yes played in yes thought you might <laughs> <laughs> for lots of different reasons but for the perspective of what we're talking about today i think there's a salient point um it, it was it was slightly confusing for those different reasons because i hadn't played a lot of blue planet before i knew you were a fan of the setting i think that's why you, you know we both signed up for it. it's like let's give it a go which is usually our motivation for playing in any con game really is looks interesting let's give it a go 
I remember looking over the character sheet and I had all kinds of like fairly advanced technology and loads of little jargony buzzwords and so on but you don't get a lot of time really to ask questions and so on at the start of the game and you don't want to either you definitely get the feeling that you know well, let's just go and we'll explain it as we go along but I do remember three and a half hours later um, the GM looking really exasperated because we hadn't um, solved his scenario because yeah. one of the players hadn't used the piece of equipment that he deliberately put on the character sheet in order to solve the scenario. And, and we were all looking at each other a bit blank until I realised he was looking at me. And I just didn't even know what it was. And I, I'm not a stupid person, but he put it on the back of the sheet. I didn't even know there was anything on the back of the sheet. I, I hadn't bothered looking. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and I think this thing was called like a beta assembler or something. I don't even know what it was to this day. I don't know what it was. But he was almost angry with me for not having deciphered my own character yeah. but I didn't make it he just handed me a sheet of paper a few hours ago I was busy chewing the scenery and talking to people and, and you know shooting bad guys uh, and I think you, you have to know that when you're generating characters for your scenario that you've got to make the character sheet available for people who probably haven't played the game before because my experience of GM and at cons is uh, I'm going to say two thirds of people who sit down at the table haven't played that system before I think that there's a couple of exceptions I think most people know Savage in UK cons now that's kind of a default setting and, and you can always fall back on D&Disms for your OSR stuff but if it's anything outside of those two I think you've got to be prepared to have your character sheet be more of an infographic than perhaps something you would use in your home campaign I think there's definitely a market there for people who want to do that if someone can set up some infographic character sheets they could definitely sell those on drive through I think there's a there's a skill involved in that but I think you're right you need to pare down the character sheet a little bit or create your own and get rid of a lot of the chaff and keep the interesting bits that players will need to use in their game they don't know how to need to know how to build up skills so for example Blue Panic does have a worksheet when you make characters they've got a worksheet you use first to work out how all your skills fit together and then you put it on a character sheet afterwards well all that you don't really need uh, and for the Feng Shui game I played for example there's kind of um, there's not many rules to that it, well there are in terms of all the different abilities and feats but your core stats there's not a lot of, of stuff in there really and you could it's getting down to that simplistic like what's my attack number what's my defense number or what's my main thing I do what do I roll for that and that's the sort of thing you need to have on there I think for the 13th age game I played guy had sort of got this is your bonus for your stat and then this is the bonus plus level for your stat and things like that which, which is all fine and we can all follow it because we've all played D&D or most people have and that sort of thing but arguably rather than having your spell list and then that telling you that's going to be intelligence plus level and, and that sort of thing for a con game what you could do is just go when you're casting Frost Ray you roll a d20 and add 8 and it's that sort of yeah. level of detail that people need some people will want to know more of the system they like to see the gears moving and try and work out for themselves if it's something they want to run so there's a bit of a balance to be stuck you don't want to just eliminate all or obfuscate everything from the players because some people do want to see the levers move but yeah there's definitely a case for cutting down a lot of chaff and I think the sort of thing you're mentioning there Baz with that beta blocker or whatever it was is it, it, it's not just the system it goes for background stuff you put in there there's more than one game recently where someone's been a spy in a game and hasn't realised and at the end got almost like you did shouted at by the GM for not being a spy or doing it properly or revealing the thing they were supposed to but you look at the background, it doesn't specifically say you are a spy, at this point you're expected to do X, there's none of that it's just all alluded to or assumed from uh, inherited mm. background knowledge that you know about how Inquisitor works or something of this nature, so whatever it is, whether it's system or background you want to be really clear to the player about if you expect something from them, what it is you're expecting Yeah, yeah definitely um, I would I would call on a couple of other war stories to sort of help illuminate that too Um I'm going to put it out there straight away that I don't think you should be generating characters at the table at cons Correct. at all. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's madness. Uh, unless you can do it in 10 minutes, unless it's part of the game, you are just chewing into stuff. And, and the reason I mention it is because clearly generating characters will teach you how to play the game in possibly the best way. So it's a great thing to do in your home campaign. You, you'd spend your first session doing it, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd you'd talk about the setting and you'd all flick through books and you'd rub stuff out and chat with each other you can't be doing that when you've only got maybe three hours of prime gaming ahead of you I don't think um, but what you can do is is the GM is going to have to try and get people up and running from cold 
as quick as they can with that character sheet um, and again I'll take you back to some games of Godlike we ran back in a Gen Con in a way 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 distant past I think we were doing some shared GMing we were GMing in different rooms or at different tables and trying some stuff out yeah and I remember that I, I looked around my table and as I do I told everyone what their name is and asked them what their name was and did some pleasant introductions and then I asked them if any of them had played Godlike before and I got a a table full of shaking heads and I asked if any of them had played one roll engine before which is the system I got a table full of shaking heads I, I delayed the start of the game by 10 minutes and gave out the character sheets and then I said I'm just going to demonstrate how the how the dice rolling works because it's a little bit fiddly it took 10 minutes we had a quick shootout we just did real basic stuff a white room combat and then everybody started nodding and then when they looked down at their sheets there was just a bit more comprehension that it, it didn't take very long i was nervous about doing it you know it's like it's like when we have chats before we hit the record button on the podcast sometimes we're having it before we've had it <laughs> i don't want to steal my own thunder but I, i'm going to suggest if, if it really merits it and you've got a table full of compete noobs why not just quickly take people through the basic steps no more than that uh, maybe it was my time working at Games Workshop where I had to introduce people to Warhammer on a daily basis, an hourly basis, but I kind of got quite good at explaining how dice rolls worked. I don't think it hurts um, because I think just sticking a character down, no matter how well designed it is, it might throw people for six. And if you've been silly enough to build your entire experience around a couple of lines on one of the people's character sheets, you're, you're, you're opening up a massive, massive possibility that your game's going to fizzle. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of drifting away a little bit from the character creation at this point, but it's, I think it's definitely Ooh, worth here we are. De- <laughs> definitely worth mentioning. Well, I, I want to drift even further for just for one point, if nothing else. And that's that um, you should probably have a fairly quickly on some kind of action scene or something, whether it's a fight, whether it's um, you know uh, hanging off a cliff, whatever it is, it's something that allows you to roll dice. And I think that's. That's all part of it. Get your characters geared up so that you can have an opening scene where they get to roll their good skills that you've given them in that situation really early, so they can see how it works. Uh, and it can be whatever you want. You can start off with the middle, you know, your character in the middle of a pub fight. Someone's just punching in the face. What do you do? The head will go down to the character sheet, and you, you've got your opportunities to either let them run with it. Or you can say, well, you could roll fight and you could do this. You could roll your intimidate and do that, or whatever it might be. Give them a couple of options, but have your characters geared up with something and then you as the GM think about what might happen in your story or your scenario and have some stuff set up that will hit those buttons that you put on those character sheets so when someone tries to press one it works and something happens it almost feels a little bit like teaching a small child where you give them their boards and there's things they can spin around and buttons that make noises and whatever else if you've got stuff on that character sheet people are going to want to hit it and that's their view of how they get into the world isn't it when you're tasked with something or you know you get the mission as your players the first thing you do is look at like well what what can i do what am i capable of doing you want to get that gauge of can i punch someone in the face uh, and knock up knock three mooks out with one swing or is this going to be a knockdown drag out fight and i don't really want to get in a fight at all because the system's so high so you, you need some kind of like uh, barometer or leveling system by having a quick action early on if you can and then that gives people, everybody an idea about what they can and can't do yeah, especially if your game's got any kind of currency for like boosting your rolls or spending points or flicking in bennies, stuff like that. You you basically want to know the odds, don't you? Yeah. And, I, and I suppose a shout out to BRP games. At least they tell you in percentage terms exactly what might happen. It's yeah. not hard to calibrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell I tell you in advance, you're going to miss. That's what's going to happen. Um, but you know, you do need to calibrate stuff. And I don't think we are we are drifting too far off topic because I think I think the point I want to maybe pull us back to is when you're coming up with characters for your con games, I think it's not a bad plan to work backwards from how you see the session going, which would fit into your idea of you know give people a, a tester of the system in the first fifteen minutes that applies to like their best skills, give them immediate spotlight time. Well, if you know what your last scene in your con game is going to be, you can work backwards to your first scene, and then you can like make sure that you've got characters who can participate in the game you think is going to unfold at your table. It's either that or start characters from scratch, probably on your own, sitting around your kitchen table a few months before or a few days before the convention, and then see what scenario comes off of it. But given the way that cons work, you probably have pitched the scenario before you've done the characters. Is is that what happens in Gaz's house? Oh, all kinds of things happen here. Some of them we can't say <laughs> on a podcast. 
Um, what I quite often do, actually, I quite like making characters. I do like getting a new book or whatever, or even an old book, and sitting down and making a bunch of characters and coming up with different ideas and concepts and making them all different. Uh, so things like Savage Worlds, looking at the list of hindrances, the disadvantages, that feeds my imagination on things that could happen or the awkward situations player characters might find themselves in. And that can then drive things that might be a conflict in the game. But equally, I might just produce some cool-looking characters or something I'd like to play myself. But at that point, that then gives me a bit of a clue. So if I've made a sneaky thief type or someone who's got lockpicking or this kind of stuff, then I definitely want there to be an element of breaking and entering somewhere along the line, if you know what I mean. Or sure. So yeah. it, it's quite often... Yeah, I try it both ways. Sometimes I've got a story I sort of want to tell or an idea of an end scene and work backwards, like you've mentioned, and then try and think of what characters would fit in with that. But as many times, I come up with a a cool band of characters and think, right, what would they actually do? Or what sort of scrapes will these guys get into? So the the character generation bit quite often informs the scenario. Yeah, yeah, it it, it does for me as well. I actually sort of flick backwards and forth between those things I'll kind of have an idea for the kind of game I want to play and then I think oh, I better do some characters for it and I'll sort of stat out roughly up to half a dozen um, of the of just almost generic adventurers but then as I start to fill them out and I build a few lines of relationship between them you know and it could be something just as trivially simple as two of the characters are married that might spark something that I then think oh well I'll drop that into the scenario because then that'll get a bit of spotlight time it'll get said out loud I think my mission is that at at a point during the game like as soon as the game is over and we're into the post-game analysis I would love it if every player knew what was on every other player's character sheets just from it because it's all come out during that game and there's been nothing wasted either um that would be lovely you know if if they knew that the that the couple that I'd, I'd set up a relationship for were married you know that they've said it out loud at some point and i can't expect them to say that out loud just on the basis of them being interested in that relationship mm-hmm. unless i provoke it in the game so as we said at the start mate you know just because it's on the character sheet doesn't mean it will come out but at least you can put provoking clues in there and then there might be another one of just you know someone who's frightened of loud noises might be their disadvantage if that never comes out of the table that was that's a shame um and that's simple you just put a loud noise in your scenario don't you (laughs) and then someone goes oh 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 i've got that and then everyone's engaged and your double-headed coin becomes the sort of thing that people remember years later it sounds so simple it really isn't and i've ended up writing out 11th level druids and just going through fairly ordinary spell lists and trying to tinker with the stats to make sure that you know that charisma's treated with the respect it's due and I, oh God, sometimes i forget to do that kind of stuff you know stuff i just talked about in the last two minutes is probably more interesting than the last 11th level druid i started up which took hours <laughs> i can almost guarantee that's correct Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> my next yeah. one will be really frightened of loud noises and, married to and i think that's um they introduced a little bit in Cypher system in terms of you roll a D4 and you've got a connection to another PC and, and that's quite interesting and in Hot War you have interrelated relationships and there's all kinds of other games that have done it as well I'd, I think you can just add it into any game you want um, and you can do it as you know character A and character B are married uh, or I think it's just trying to add a little interesting detail onto that to make something of it if you want to try and draw a bit more out so you can marry two characters off but then on one of the characters sheets just put he won't let you forget about that time in Altdorf or something like that and leave it pretty vague as to what that thing was but it's quite often a hook then that some players will start to make a thing out of and if the other character's got you know there was this one time and now he won't let you forget why won't he let it go you're much more interested mm-hmm. in the rogue now anyway or you know, whatever it is you, you can start to just drop bits in that anyway not have to really spell out for the player exactly what it is that happened or what they should do about it just there's this thing it irritates you or there's this thing and you'd love that about the other person or you really mm-hmm. love her but you can't ever say it out loud but god forbid anything should happen to her and then leave it up to the player and the thing to be aware yeah. of is that sometimes players won't do anything with it you can write on there this person saved your life ten times you'll do anything for them you'll never leave them behind and the first chance they get to run away when a dragon turns up they will so no matter what you write in your character sheet you have got to be aware that as a gem sometimes players don't read it or don't care or forget 
But all you can do, really, I think, is just set up the potential. If you can plant the seeds and give them opportunities, and some players are just great at doing whatever they want anyway and ignoring what you've written, but to help players out who are less keen on that sort of thing or kind of want permission almost to start going a bit off-piste, plant those little seeds in the ground and give them the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you're right, that you can apply those to any games. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, on a practical level, when you sit down to GM at a con and you get like up up to half a dozen people sitting opposite you or around the table with you, and some many of them might be strangers, you kind of pull out your your half dozen character sheets from your bag, don't you? And uh, what do you do, guys? Do you do you randomly hand them out, or do you do you do what I do, which is to say, I've got you know I've got this type of character, and I sum them up really really quickly, sometimes as much as it's a half elf ranger, um, and and I go round. And I just sort of sum it up and say, who wants what? And then people take it. Or do you That's... just fizz the character sheets into the middle of the table and, and let them grab what, what comes? Because I'm conscious that if you've got stuff like, you know, these characters are married, or, or better, these characters used to be married, <laughs> and you don't say why, um, I'm conscious that if, if someone doesn't want to go with that, then they probably shouldn't take the half-elf ranger that's got that on the sheet or maybe I should make a bigger deal of saying what what their what their agenda is going to be in the session, rather than you know their race and class, or the the fact that they're the heavy weapons expert or whatever it is. What what do you do, mate? Yeah, I normally give a quick pricey of the character, and that'll be, you know, this is uh, old Pete, he's the gravelous old crew member. He's well liked, but he's known to cheat the, the crew, and he's got this ancient old parrot on his shoulder, which everybody hates but seems to cling on to life as much as old Pete does and some of the bits and pieces like that and that, that sort of drops in the idea that he's old that then anybody who's not old Pete gets the expectation that they're supposed to like him because you've said that old Pete's mm. liked by all the rest of the crew and then everybody hates his parrot so everybody's got the expectation that they should hate his parrot as well even though they love old Pete or whatever and people might not play into that but if you give some general statement about all the characters in that way it gives other people who aren't going to pick that character the expectation about how their character might behave towards them, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I'll usually drop in something along the lines of, like, uh, you know, this is foul mouth Sam, and he's the guy you want next to you when your back's against the bulwark and you're in a boarding action. So you know that he's the one that's good at fighting if that's the sort of thing you're into. So I sort of give it a pre like that, and then I chuck him in the middle and say, it's up to you guys. Do you want to pick randomly? Do you want to just have a look through? Do you want to grab one? Anyone got your preferences? and sort of let the players muddle through it a little bit and if everybody says we don't care I just start throwing them at people but generally speaking one or two people will have some sort of like preference uh, and then what I do is give them a bit of time to look through the characters sort of consume the information on there and say right okay before we start I want everybody to give their representation of how they view their characters so we all know what's going on so despite what I've said in my open pricey I then give each individual player an opportunity to say something about the character which that is how they present the rest of the group and it gives everybody an idea about mm. what they're actually going to be playing if you know what I mean yeah do you, do you get I, I see this quite a lot and it might just be the circles that are attracted to my games do you still see people saying um, uh, we're going to need we're going to need a fighter <laughs> we're going to need a wizard we're going to need a cleric we're going to need a thief no matter what the genre it could be called a Cthulhu 1920s or they might dress it up a little bit and say we're going to need a face man or we're going to need a driver do you still people picking roles is that something that you, you see people trying to cling to uh, I don't really see people trying to make the party anymore I think the expectation is that the GM if he's pre-generated characters will have sorted all that stuff out for you uh, and if you as a GM aren't doing that then you know, don't give people a choice of seven characters when there's six of them, and if they really need the cleric, don't tell them. You know, make sure you say if they need a particular character that that someone takes it, or better still, just have all relevant characters and don't chuck random ones in there that don't matter. Um, mm. But people do sometimes have a preference. You know, there's some people that don't want to be the face man or the the one that talks, the leader. They don't want to be in charge. They don't have to do make the decisions or do the chatting to NPCs. So there's definitely an element of that sort of stuff I try and make diverse characters anyway with different skill sets and different niche protections so they've got their own moments where they can shine um, and if someone asks for it which they sometimes do uh, do you know what I see more actually rather than somebody asking for a particular thing they're more likely mm -hmm. to say what they don't want someone's more likely to say yeah, I, I just don't point, want to yeah, fight yeah. her or 
yeah, I want to be a bit more interested in just hitting things. I don't want to be a tank, or I don't have to speak to people. I just want to be, you know, at the back doing X, Y, Z. And I think that's more of a driver rather than saying I want this role. It's more a case of, well, this is what I definitely don't want, and then just give me something else, and I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear that a lot. With, uh, you know, I, I really want to to not play something that uses magic because that's always a bit weird and I don't like playing those kind of games or I'll, I'll hear people say you know don't give me the cleric yeah in my circles that happens quite a lot <laughs> and definitely don't give me the bard <laughs> so no I get that that makes sense uh, but I think there is just going back to I suppose the subject we're on about today if I'm putting together a party of characters as you say I do kind of assume that I want to make a fairly diverse group not just so that I can give choice to the players but so that I can have a variety of situations in the scenario um that they will get like high points and low points you know there'll be a bit of sneaking there'll be a bit of fighting there'll be a bit of diplomacy um I, I like that kind of diversity and then I try and if I can I'd put that on the character sheet in the in a simple way I think if you give everybody generic character sheets you end up with a nobody really knows what that what their what their thing is that they're good at but if you've got like a skill system most skill systems give you some skills points to chuck around just write down the skills on the character sheet that the character has put points into and all the other ones that they haven't just leave them off the sheet that, yeah. that's a simple little tip and a, and a bit of a technique Savage has got I think oh, only about 15 skills something like that and they all default to a stat don't they if you, if you haven't raised them but if, you've, if you're just dead good at, at shooting um, and intimidating and what, probably what one or two others if you've just got those four skills on your sheet, it's kind of obvious what you do. Mm. And uh, as long as you explain, you can still try anything, but this is what you're best at. That, that's sometimes a help for people, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've done it both ways. I've done it with a, just putting exactly what skills they've got. Um, the only slight problem with that can be when I tried it is um, if I said make me intimidate role, but the character didn't have the intimidate skill, they then would try mm. and scatter on the character sheet to see if they got it. And if I couldn't... Oh, quite remember yeah, if that yeah, character yeah. had it or not there's a bit of a minute where you're trying to work out you know, are they just looking in the wrong place or have they not got the skill at all that sort of thing so one of the things I do particularly with Savage is I put all I generally do my own character sheets anyway but um, I put all the skills on there and if it's one they haven't got I kind of grey it out or do it in a, you know, a, a lighter yeah. font or something so I, I usually get asked at the start why have I not got these in this colour or why is that a different colour or is this a printing error but it's quite easy to say then, well, those are your unskilled ones, this is what you need to roll for that. The ones in bold, they're the ones you've got and you're good at. And at least then everybody's got a good view of the whole range of skills there are. But yeah, some way of cutting down on the information that they shouldn't care about so much and highlighting the information that they should care about more is definitely a way forward. I like having diverse people in in the games. Um, no matter what I'm running, I like to see that kind of light and shade and you know see the, the, the violent one in the party and the the more pacifistic one and just setting up a few tensions not necessarily sort of tensions where it will come to blows but you know the kind of relationships around the party that just a good grist for the mill really something for something to make them talk when they're not doing anything massively dramatic because you know, my ideal game session at a con is going to sound like Joss Whedon scripted it very rarely is it like that but that would be lovely you know to see those little those the, the players bouncing off of each other just a little bit because they might i don't know it's it's real classic stuff from the dawn of the hobby but what do you do with a prisoner there's always somebody wants to stab him there's always someone who says don't you dare stab them or i'll stab you and there's always someone else who says no 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 can't we all just talk it out i, I quite like those little scenes i kind of have the ambition where i want to sit back and see my my characters that I probably drew up three, four months ago, or three, four hours ago, I just want to see them role play and I can watch. Mm. It, and when it does happen, it's lovely when you see your advantages, disadvantages, whatever the, the phrase for it is in the game you're playing. When you see those come to life, that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's, um, I just want to nip back to skills, if I may, for a little bit. Uh, oh, um, yeah. One the, th the death of the hobby. Yeah, yeah, no, you're not a massive fan. Uh, one of the things I've seen about that, that that where it can get a little bit confused is I like to build some multiple redundancy in so I don't just have the healer I'll have someone else who's got the healing skill as well although not quite oh, as good do you? Right, and that okay. way if, the, if and when as always happens the medic gets shot first there's someone else who can kind of help them out but that, that can sort of lead to a little bit of like if it's on a character sheet as we've been discussing people kind of assume it's their thing 
So mm-hmm. it's like the second best healer will quite often try and jump in and, and patch someone up after a firefight because they assume they're the one because they've got that skill when there's actually someone better. So that sort of can come down to making the role obvious by having someone literally have a medic's badge on or something like that, I guess. But that's just something else to be aware of in your in your games with your skills, really, is making sure that if someone's got a role and you want them, if you want someone to be referred to as the medic or whatever else, make that a little bit more obvious and it can pop out. And they might have a nickname, they might be called Doc or something like that. So then mm. if you can define roles by nicknames that the characters have for each other or whether they view someone as good at their particular role or not, that sort of thing, that's another thing that kind of the layer of detail and interest again with the caveat that some people might not run with it anyway but it comes back to planting those little seeds I do like the idea you're saying where you've kind of created this little ecosystem and then you want to sort of release it and see what happens Hmm. yeah you'll have stuff to to provoke incidents where you have bangs and you'll have events and you'll have ninjas kicking in the door Uh, you'll have external prompts but I I, I think what I'm after more and more is and I rarely see it even in my home games, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I would love to see, I think I've used this expression with you before, guys, so forgive me, but I don't think the listeners have heard it. If you imagine the GM is kind of like the hub of a, of a bicycle wheel um, and the players are around the rim, you, you see a lot of conversations just travelling up and down the spokes. Yeah. So it's player to GM, GM back to player, and then a different player to the GM, GM back to that player, and it's back and forth like that. You don't necessarily see so much conversation going left and right around the table. Some systems really, really encourage that, uh, often in character generation. But given that you've got a bunch of strangers at the table and and you know you're up against it to get each player to understand their character and their system from cold, it is a big ask to get them to know the other people around the table too who are going to be just as strange but probably less likely to reach across the table, shake hands and say, hi, I'm such and such. Mm. So... I'd really like to try and encourage that no matter what the system and there's little tips and techniques for that whether it be tent cards on the table or you know slightly embarrassing tell us who you are and what you do but you know we don't want to feel too much like a corporate work meeting but there's a reason why those icebreakers exist because I, I really would love to see the players chatter amongst themselves and make me redundant I see loads of con reports where people say as a GM I just sat back and watched it for half an hour I barely got a word in um, I, I don't experience that too much. I think I'd like two more. Do you get that? Uh, yes, I do. Depending, um, I, I ran two games of the, the pirate stuff at the weekend at Seven Hills, uh, and the first ones I mentioned, the players, there's lots of better laughs and little things that came out, and that that was that was a session where I had to kind of just curate it a little bit, and um, you kind of give the players free will to muck about amongst themselves and then just spot if it's flagging a bit or you're conscious of time or you want to move some plot along and you just sort of like chivy them along a little bit like some ex- you know an excitable school trip and you have to keep keep them on the, out of the road and on, the, on the path to a certain mm. extent and it's great because uh, a lot of the stuff comes to the players and you can, can jump in with your own characters and bits and pieces you throw in and it's all just a great collaborative hubbub of amusement uh, but then the, the evening game I found was a little bit um, I felt it was a little bit stale I don't want to point blame at anyone else me or the players to be honest but that just seemed to be more the players wanted something to happen rather than be willing to sort of like have that interaction amongst themselves or there was a little bit of antagonism uh, and there was nothing on the sheet to necessarily say you know the crew were mutinous towards the captain or whatever but that's just something that emerged through play and then that kind of caused a bit of a a flag when there was two different views at the table but nobody wanted to kind of really push it so nothing really happened so even in the same weekend I've experienced with the same set of characters uh, in slots immediately preceding and following each other to make two different experiences so it can happen uh, and you can try and provide hooks for it and things to make it happen and chuck your, your own bangs and whatever in but with exactly the same circumstances from one group to the next you'll get a different reaction and I don't think there's a guaranteed way of managing that unfortunately yeah there's, there's only so much you can do isn't there but I, I think you've got to be conscious that you've just got to prime the pump as much as you can. Mm. Uh, and clearly, the characters that you generated generated a, a great session and a, and a decent one. So, you know, you, the, neither of them were bad. Um, and th- those character sheets would have gone a long way towards it. Mm. And I think it's worth picking out. And I guess that's why we're having the discussion is you'll see an awful lot of people scratching their heads about the plot and about the system choice and about the timing and the pacing and we'll cover all of that stuff in future podcasts as we have done in in previous ones but you don't see so much stuff about the 
just generating the characters who are going to be the protagonists of this scenario and how much that will flavor the game that you're going to run um, and just how how important it is and also how much work it is I think I probably spend more time doing the characters than I do doing writing the scenario if I'm honest yeah I, I know there's people who just throw some numbers together and shut the characters out there and it works to a greater or lesser extent uh, but I can't do it I have to make the characters properly and I have to think about them I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. I guess it comes down to different player styles and personality types. There, I guess. Another thing I do actually, and I think this is this. Well, there's several ways we can we can talk about it. But one of the things I did this time was put some of the combat options on the back of the character sheet. I made a little A5 uh, pamphlet, for want of a better word, just printed sideways on an A4 and folded it over. So the front for my character sheets had a like a watermarked image with a, just a paragraph of text to give an idea about the character. Inside covers got your advantages and disadvantages for the hooks. Uh, the right hand side had here's your stats and your weapons and things that you might need to roll and then the back was here's useful combat options or or that kind of stuff because I think quite often there's downtime with people as well they kind of want to know what else they could do that's not just their character but within the system and once they've got the basics down they kind of want to stretch it and you can't put the whole book in front of people but you could just having some extra options and like level up or advanced manoeuvres I think that's a good thing to have on the character sheet rather than on a separate sheet saying this is something we might get to later. Because if you put it on the character sheet, it gives the character the idea, or the player the idea, sorry, that it's something they can do when they feel ready. It's not something they have to do because you've not pointed out as a thing we're trying to get to. It's just on their sheet and it's up to them when and if they bring that stuff in. And that seemed to work really well and let players um, self-pace in terms of whether they thought they were getting enough out of the system or wanted more or that sort of thing. So um, you can also sort of make characters that are a little bit basic and then give them advanced versions later on or things like that. I think generally people want our character and stick with it for, for most scenarios. But it's nice to have the kind of uh, upgrades or improvements on the sheet for when people have got the handle of the basics and don't necessarily put it in the same mm. place, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good shout, mate. I, I, I think, again, it comes down to the fact that realistically you are probably going to have a bunch of people who don't know the game uh, because people want to try stuff out at cons and that means they're trying out the system as much as they're trying out your scenario um, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all to to offer it up I, I think it can sometimes be done in a in a bit of a cack-handed way I've, I've been in a couple of scenarios where I've been handed in excess of six sheets of laminated paper double-sided of which some of it is is, oh, is summaries of summaries um, yeah. and and stuff that oh your eyes glaze over don't they there's there's too much at some point uh, but that's it's probably better to have it there than than not enough actually yeah because you know if we get a comfort break halfway through the game i can have a little look at a few things and go oh do you know what oh, i didn't realize it. it's got quite an interesting social combat system here let's see if oh i might, I might try and put a tick next to that and you have a little look it looks like a little list of things you want to experience so yeah i'd rather have too much than too little um, but you you can't expect people to go into a study group for half an hour. You definitely can't give them a thirty two page setting book and ask them to read in silence while you go and get your coffee and, and come back and play the adventure. And these are real examples, by the way, friends. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Um, so yeah, but uh, the design of the character sheet we keep coming back to it, don't we? That's that's the that's the piece of paper that your uh, your six strangers are going to judge everything on because it's all they've got initially. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they're going to refer to it all the time because you're going to say what do you do quite a lot and as you've you've already alluded to guys you're going to watch heads drop to the character sheet to look at the sheet to see what they can do not not because they can't role play but they just want to do something that's appropriate to the game that you're playing and and clearly they're expecting to see a a list of loads of appropriate things (laughs) Um, but I think it's amazing sometimes how you don't see that list when you look down you just see six generic investigators that have been pulled out the back of some supplement um, and you know nastily tipexed out and updated for a 1990s modern adventure and it's just these don't bear any relationship to what we're trying to do today and it becomes painfully obvious yeah you're right I think the Cthulhu style games and stuff like that I I think you were sort of hinting at there to a degree Uh, they're definitely one for the pruning of the skill lists when you have you know, mm. a good half of your character sheet is three columns of skills. Oof, no, cut that yeah. out. You know, yeah. you, you could arguably just have your six or ten skills that you're pretty good at, and then whatever. Pick pick a base number, 20%, whatever you want for anything that you're not skilled at. I mean, it's not technically working the way the system works, so 
there's other ways you can do it but I think from a from the point of view of someone working out what they can do if you just put six skills in front of them rather than 50 you're definitely helping the player there focus on what they what they might want to do I don't know there's different ways of doing it like I said one of them is just to narratively tell them what they're about and then they can try and do it because um, well, another good example actually is um, Pled Duty and Honor at the weekend and mm-hmm. uh, one of the main stats in that for the officer is generally command because when it comes down to a large scale military action everybody else will do their individual tasks to try and help the commander out but it ultimately comes down to whoever's in charge to make a command check to see whether they beat their opponents uh, and my character was the captain but he had a command of two which is not very big I take it two two's not doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound big unless it's a roll low kind of game yeah. <laughs> two, two sounds small anyway and in this game it is definitely yeah so if I think the enemy general we fought at one point had uh, like six so that gives you an idea of the, okay. the difference in scale yeah. but that gave me the role playing opportunity so even though it's a skill you would expect the captain or military commander to have just having it low then told me that I was supposed to play in a certain well not supposed to play in a certain way but it gave me the opportunity to say okay well wh- why is his command so poor is he just incompetent is he a complete Rupert and uh, just likes women and cigars and you know this is just a terrible inconvenience for him he has to do his military service is he trying really hard but just outclassed is it, there's all kinds of things can come out of it so it's not necessarily just the things you're good at you want written down there but you want to have the things that you would expect the character or other characters expect the character to be good at and have some disadvantage to it or some way of flagging that this is especially low but there's a story behind it so so what's the reason why this expected good skill is so low or something of that nature yeah yeah definitely uh, i mean i think one of the one of the things that i've used on a purely practical level to to help with exactly what you've just said is i've generated like you know half a dozen characters for a potential con game and i've done it by the book the way that you would do it for a home campaign and i've just laid out the six sheets in front of me and gone over them with a highlighter pen um, and then used them as the templates for making something that's more usable as a one shot so you know if i've got i can see who's got the highest bluff skill out of my six sheets and i'll just highlight that and then i can write down the words bluffer yeah, um, you know, just trying to turn the numbers into words, even if it's just as a memory for me to to say this is the this is the person who's really good in those kind of situations because as you can see they've got bluff and they've got diplomacy and they've got comeliness or whatever it is, um, and you know they're rich, and, and that might not be too obvious from your home sheet. We keep coming back to that character sheet, don't we? But it's, I think it's really really important, and and I think it's something that that con GMs. It, there's, there's two sorts of con gems there's the ones who just like you know photocopy the character sheet out the back of their world of darkness book and frantically color in stuff the night before or there's the people who go mad on photoshop and gimp and make exquisite artifacts and they're really trying to you know push as an artistic creation what they've done and i don't know which end of that spectrum i fall on but whenever i make effort in the character sheet i normally see it paid back in the session so i think it's worth it oh i agree i'm a, I'm a big fan of doing it I have used standard character sheets for want of a better term. I think quite often, even if you just want to use the basic one out of the book, you're probably better off going on Google because there'll be fan ones that are far better. Mm. So that, that's just a top tip. Uh, don't bother using the, the official ones because they're usually an afterthought. Uh, you can find something better. But yeah, I think um, when I've made something that looks like a Miller folder with some sheets and a, a Polaroid thrown on top of it or something like that, if I'm playing an investigative game, that just adds a certain something. It gives a certain ambiance to the game. It gets a mindset set out uh, and it sort of reminds me of um, I think it's Over the Edge and Jonathan Tweet says in that that when you make your character you have to sketch him out You have to little, no matter how bad at drawing you are you have to draw yeah, your character right. because that just connects certain synapses and makes connections in your brain that don't happen if you don't physically draw something out you know if you're just using words so anything you can do to sort of like create that connection uh, either by pretty looking sheets or little bits of artifact or forcing the player to engage in some way I think really help just make those little mental connections and get the mood right and set the scene yeah yeah and, and it makes an artifact of play and everyone loves those I'll I, I refer my honourable friend to Monsters and Other Childish yeah. Things a game you've know and love because that's that's you know, the poster child for like let's get our crayons out and you watch everybody nervously sweat over the prospect it's, it's like you've asked them to get on the table and sing um but but once people get going they really do get going don't they yeah and everybody remembers what they're doing and it's it's really engaging um 
yeah it's it's not an icebreaker i wouldn't i wouldn't counsel doing that sort of thing but it's it's something that gets people straight into their character and and going back to the start of the podcast as you suggest mate that should be you know a scene or it could be something as simple as a little bit of small talk or it could be some drawing or it's got to be something it's like get the game going um from a character point of view i think that's got to be your the first thing you do almost before you get the scenario going if you just coldly drop your six pcs into a negotiation with a mr johnson or have them sitting around a tavern table as a wizard approaches it's like backtrack five minutes and ask them what they're all having for dinner in that table that'll that'll cement them in the game more than you know they're going to get the hook thrown on the table and then immediately they're into scenario mode they've got to get into character first yeah no i I like that idea just getting some mundane detail about the character like say what they're eating or some other thing uh, I don't think how they dress because people just kind of think of a favourite character and, and dress them up like they would a candle or something. But mm-hmm. little bit, I I I've, so I struggle with that. People never tell me what they what they look like. <laughs> I know what they look like because I know what equipment they're carrying. <laughs> you know, I wrote the character sheet. I know they've got a, a great sword and chainmail. It's amazing how often that gets left out of the physical description. People kind of stop at the neck. I yeah. Find. So I, I know what you mean. I do like some physical description. I don't think that tells you much about the character necessarily. It's sort of you kind sure. of want some affectations to go with it. Could have, I don't know. Like if the character's got greasy hair, you almost want the player at the table to be constantly wiping the forehead or something, or you know, pretending mm. to brush hair out mm. their eyes, or swatting at flies or something because they've got they're uncapped. I don't know. But there seems to be something you could do with it. it depends how much amdram you want to do, I guess, and all that kind of stuff. But mm. um, another technique to sort of go into uh, flashbacks or air flashback, or you know, you know, you can be on the gunship on your way down to. Uh, invade the alien planet and we go okay we're just going to have a flashback now to the bar the night before what were you doing or something of that nature and get something about the character out or you know I don't know other conceits just to try and get a player to talk about their character that the danger you've got if you haven't seeded something is that some people do get get a little bit frozen by that they don't like to have to come up with something on the spot or they don't know how they feel about yeah. their character yet because they've not done anything with them so I'd argue if you're going to take that sort of approach is that you have a standby one saying if you can't think of anything else you know read this box text I, I totally get how some people do get a bit frozen when they're put on the spot I, I do think it's a shame because you've got nothing to lose in a con game it's a one shot you know what's the worst that can happen well nothing is the worst that can happen <laughs> totally get that, that in, a, in, a, in a home game you might not even give your character a name for the first couple of hours. I've, I've played plenty of home games like that where people say, oh, come back to me on that because they want to get to know what it feels like it should be called, but you haven't got that luxury in a con game. Um, I think you should just jump in. I, I, that's what I would do, and I would encourage people to do it, but I think you're right, mate. You've got to be mindful that some people won't want to do that. And it's not a necessity, is it? But But any the first 10 minutes of a game are always when you get I think sometimes the best pure role playing stuff if you do do that like you know what are you all eating in the tavern I've seen those scenes go mad and people start writing down menus <laughs> and they start asking well what's on tap and you've got to improvise like 40 real ales off the top of your head which funnily enough I don't have a problem with but you, you start it and it's like oh, this is really cool um, and they can turn into those sessions where people saying we didn't roll the dice and I get that but you, <laughs> you've got to rein it back in at some point haven't you but better that than a kind of a, a cold horrible start where where they're being approached with a scenario and everyone's looking down nervously at their notes and nobody seems to be it doesn't say leader on my character sheet so I'm not going to speak first it's, oh, it's, it's, it's awkward isn't it it's bad for everyone so you've you got to have some prompts in there and, and I think good GMs will facilitate because as GM who probably wrote those characters you've given yourself a leg up haven't you you've given yourself something to call upon because you know it's out there even if the player hasn't got to that bit of your character sheet yet yeah absolutely I think another thing you can do is sort of put little one liners on the sheet about other players so it's, it's mm. something from yesteryear, but they're kind of like what your character thinks about everyone else. But you've got to keep it short and snappy, in my view, and it may get ignored as I keep caveating. But you can give different views as well. So you could have, if for example, your character was the leader, my character sheet might say, "Good God, Baz won't show up," or he's always the first one to claim ownership or something. And then you can put on someone else's character sheet, 
oh, Baz is amazing. He's always first into the breach and knows what to say. And you can just put different bits of expectation about characters on different people's character sheets. So then when things happen, you'll get different reactions around the table and players who've never met each other before will wonder why they suddenly get in a different view from the other side of the table. And um, why does the hobbly, uh, excuse me, why does the uh, the halfling think that the you know the dwarf's great? I don't get it because mm. my character sees as an idiot. So be careful of your PvP angle and stuff like that. I think, but just a one-liner, or even better, keep them all the same if you want, and just have a quote from each character. So whatever, yeah. whatever it is, if the uh, the dwarf is like, you can always trust my axe, or you know, it can be as card or as silly as you want, but just a one-liner to give everybody else an expectation. And they've got a quote that they can then potentially use in the game as well. I think that can keep everybody focused on who's that guy again at the end? What does he do? Oh, he's the guy with the axe who, you know, stood at the bridge of whatever. I, I don't know. It's, it's just things like that. Anything you can do to just add a little hook into somebody else. And then, even if one player's a bit shy about coming up and saying anything, someone else might say, mm. Weren't you the dwarf that held the bridge at. Uh, Doom or something, or you know, something like that might come out of the game anyway. I don't know. Is that a bit ambitious? I don't know. No, I think you, I think that's right. I, I think you and I have both sat through uh, plenty of fake games where the character generation is the best session of the campaign yeah. because it it makes you do stuff like that. You bounce off of each other. You can't help but start writing down quotes, and you know you're going to say them again. And you can't help but think about Indiana Jones, who is the greatest collection of five aspects ever. Uh, and then there's Batman, and then there's all those great archetypes. You can just you can fold them into fate because it's such a good character generator. I, I'd, I'd suggest you probably I would prefer to go and play another game with that character um, <laughs> because it doesn't have the mechanical heft that I, I like. That's just purely personal preference. But I'd, I'd recommend that any any of the fate games if you're struggling to come up with six characters who know each other and have got dramatic and complex and and heroic lives. I think it always produces those. Take those ideals, um, because you know, guys, when you're talking about putting a quote on a character sheet, that would be an aspect in a fake game. But you can take those lessons into almost any system, can't you? Because they they work. They 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 deliver good drama, which is which is what you're going to try and squeeze out of the out of the three hours you've got to play with these guys. Because you, you probably won't bring them out again. Yeah. And advancement isn't going to come into the game, so why not why not max it essentially? You know, it's not good enough these days, I think, to put chaotic neutral on a character sheet and expect people to riff on that. I might be wrong, but I think in a con game, you want to try something with a bit more sophistication. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a luxury option if you've got time and players on your hand. You can do something like that, Spirit of the Century core mechanic uh, for generating some characters and get get your players of your home group to do it. It, it is really a luxury option. You've got to have a group of people who are willing to indulge in that, but it's certainly something I've done before where you get a group of guys together and you all make a bunch of characters and how they're interrelated and then build something mm. off of that as your scenario because as awesome as we may be as individual GMs and as many great ideas as we might have, there's just something about having other people around the table to bounce off that come up with other things or add to the awesome or go in different directions that you perhaps wouldn't have thought of just by having a, a separate opinion and perspective in the room. And it doesn't have to be a whole group. It can be your wife, it can be a mate, it can be whoever you want, really. If you start just chucking some ideas about and just get some feedback, I think that can really enrich the characters that then you're going to bring to a game because the danger always is that you make some characters that you want to play uh, and you're not going to cover the whole gamut. There's always going to be a style or preference that other people have that you're not going to be the most effective at bringing out because you've got your own prejudices so uh, if you can uh, there's always the option of getting other people involved to make your characters or work out how they tick or or some other feature about them right fantastic okay um so conscious of time as usual uh we, we've spoken for a, a fair chunk of time on, on, a, on what could seem like quite a small piece of convention prep but i, th- I think we're we're getting a sense now that maybe it's, it's more important than you think and there's all kinds of things you can do with it and it's it's definitely going to set the seeds for and give you the best chance you've got of a really quality game and, and definitely I think that the decent characters are going to take what could be a great game to an excellent game it's always going to push it up don't you think yeah. it's never going to drag it down surely so got to be worth doing and and I know that behind the scenes guys you know to move this forward a bit we've been talking about putting our mouth, money where our mouths are and uh, and doing some character generation uh, for some for some games that we've had polling amongst our loyal listeners out there, and it's something that 
people will be able to listen to us do and we'll see what we can come up with between ourselves and maybe generate a few characters and then maybe take them through a few sessions and maybe write some scenarios off the back of it and and we'll see what we can do with that so uh, i'm looking forward to that yeah it should be awesome great so i think what we'll do then is we'll we'll do the stuff that we do at the end of our podcast where we'll of, of course we'll thank our, our loyal listeners and, and and certainly thank our patrons who uh, continue to motivate us on a weekly basis thank you ever so much uh hop over to patreon.com slash smart party uh give us a couple of dollars it's all we need to keep us motivated and going um and it definitely definitely gives you the the ear of the smart party tell us what you want to hear and, and we'll talk about it we've got no problem with that at all um so thanks ever so much to our backers uh, hugely grateful for that um look us up on our website just search for the smart party and of course we're on itunes as well and i think we should be in a position to send out messages to people soon about the game that we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks but it's not too late to suggest um, a game for Gaz and I and, and some of our friends and previous guests to try out live on our podcast so I think that's it from me Gaz and from you yeah that's everything I mean if you've got any ideas about character generation or if there's good tools you've got or there's other good stuff that we've missed or you think other listeners might be interested in feel free to drop us a line uh, have a discussion on the forums UK Roleplays is always quite lively when we've done a podcast uh, it'd always be good to get more ideas uh, with all this kind of gaming stuff the more voices we can hear and the more different uh, bits we can pick each other up off each other uh, the better games get in general so thanks for listening guys and I'll see you next time cheerio